The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome members of our military who are joining us from locations around the world. Thank you for being with us this week. My guest today is investigative journalist and the author of Fast Food Nation, Reefer Madness, and Chew on This, Mr. Eric Schlosser. He has a new book out which gives a disturbing account of how our country's arsenal of nuclear weapons are being maintained and the near misses which have been underreported. I know you're going to find what he has to say today very informative. But before Schlosser joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little bit about his background. Eric Schlosser was born in Manhattan, New York, and spent his childhood in New York City and Los Angeles. He studied history at Princeton University and earned a graduate degree in British Imperial History from Oxford University. In 1985, Schlosser wrote the play The Americans, and for a period of time, he also worked as a script reader and story editor for Tribeca Productions. But that was only until his first article was published in the Atlantic Monthly, and from here, Schlosser's career as an investigative journalist took off. He's been published in The New Yorker, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and The Nation, and has been the recipient of the National Magazine Award and the Sidney Hillman Foundation Award. In 2000, Schlosser introduced his watershed book, Fast Food Nation, which became an immediate bestseller. And today, he's here to do it all over again. Following 10 years of research, his new book, Command and Control, Nuclear Weapons, The Damascus Accident, and the Illusion of Safety, is hitting bookstores everywhere. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program a writer who is no stranger to controversy, Mr. Eric Schlosser. Welcome to the program, Mr. Schlosser. Thanks for having me. In your latest expose, you paint a pretty frightening picture of how we manage and maintain our arsenal of nuclear weapons. So let's jump right into that topic. Lay out the issue for us. Well, I was spending time with the Air Force um, after Fast Food Nation was finished. And I was thinking that I was going to write about the future of warfare in space, which is an important issue. But most of the Air Force officers I was spending time with uh, had been in missile crews, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile crews. And one of them told me the story of an accident involving one of our largest intercontinental ballistic missiles that happened in Damascus, Arkansas. And coincidentally, it happened 33 years ago this week. And what started out as a trivial little accident turned into one that could have threatened the detonation of one of our most powerful nuclear weapons in Arkansas. It would have destroyed most of the state of Arkansas. And that led me to look at much more closely the management of our nuclear arsenal going all the way back to the first nuclear weapons. And um, it's been a real challenge for us. I mean, I have enormous respect. And a lot of the book is honoring the memory of servicemen who served during the Cold War, who risked their lives and sometimes lost them, uh, trying to deter the Soviet Union and trying to prevent nuclear catastrophes like the one at the heart of my book. And there were scientists who were very patriotic and doing everything they could to come up with the most sophisticated mechanisms to prevent accidental nuclear detonations. But this technology is so complicated, and the need to use these weapons quickly put such pressure on the technology that we came close on a number of occasions to having our own weapons detonate in the United States with potentially catastrophic effects. Now, we're going to talk about Damascus in just a moment. Uh, I'm sure when you first heard this story, you thought it was uh, it was fantastic, as in um, unreal. 
I really couldn't believe the story when I heard it. Mm-hmm. And um, very soon after hearing the story, I tracked down one of the Air Force uh, servicemen who played a central role in trying to solve the problem. And I spent a couple of days with him. And the more I learned about the story, the more I knew that I had to write about it. And it started out to be a relatively short book. I was just going to tell minute by minute the story of this major nuclear weapons accident. Mm-hmm. But the more I learned about the safety problems that we had had with our nuclear weapons going back really to the mid-1950s through the 1980s into the early 1990s, the book became bigger. And it tells these two separate stories, one of an accident unfolding you know, in great detail minute by minute, and the other of the story of how we tried to keep our own weapons under control. You know, the title of the book is Command and Control. And what it looks at is the effort by the United States to make sure that our weapons won't go off by accident, won't be stolen, can't be sabotaged, and can't be used by some of our own personnel without proper authorization. And it was a huge challenge to try to achieve all these things. Now, one of the things that you uncovered was that we have an awful lot of obsolete missiles that we're still maintaining, such as the Titan II. Even the Minuteman is 40 years old now. So why not just disable some of these older warheads? Well, you know, the book is about an accident involving a Titan II missile. Mm -hmm. And one of the issues was that missile was obsolete by 1980. It had gone... uh, on alert in the early 1960s and was supposed to be retired by the late 1960s. But because we were in the middle of an arms race with the Soviet Union and we didn't want to just decommission some of our missiles and eliminate some of our warheads without getting anything in return, we kept this missile on alert, I think, way past when it should have been retired. After the accident in Damascus, Arkansas, uh, within about a year, the Air Force announced that they were going to retire that missile, and it is no longer in service. But right now, uh, our land-based missiles are Minuteman III missiles, which were first introduced in the early 1970s. Uh, they've been updated since then, but you know the, the silos that they're in, the launch control centers underground, are aging. And as a country, uh, we really need to decide some fundamental questions about our nuclear weapons. And, and that's one of the aims of the book is to provoke conversation and, you know, help with the public debate over nuclear weapons. We need to decide how many do we want, what are they going to be used for, and then once we make that decision, make sure that we're spending whatever money we need to make sure that they're up to date, that they're safe, that they're being efficiently managed Uh, At the end of the book, I write about some of the problems that we've had more recently. Uh, Two of our three Minuteman missile wings uh, were cited this summer for safety violations. Uh, The largest Air Force storage facility for nuclear weapons a few years ago, uh, the entire squadron in charge of it was decertified, essentially taken off the job for safety violations. So a lot of this book is historical It's about the struggle during the Cold War to deter the Soviets, but also not be destroyed by our own weapons. But unfortunately, a lot of this information is still relevant to the United States in the year 2013. Well, I can't think of a more important time to have this discussion, and I'm so glad to have you on the program because of this, because as we look at these serious budget cuts, one of the things that no one's looking at is the fact that we have no spare parts for many of these missiles. We yep. have a shortage of trained technicians. They're very complicated. The yep. workers responsible for managing and maintaining the warheads are overworked. They're underpaid. Uh, there's drug violations on these sites. I, I think that the press, the media in general, has fallen asleep on the job. I mean, we used to provide some level of oversight. We had investigative journalists out in the field looking for these kinds of things and bringing them to the attention of not only the public, but also our leaders uh, who may not be fully uh, uh, you know, uh, informed 
about these kinds of near misses. And it's the near misses that you talk about in your book that I find absolutely compelling and fascinating. It's a riveting book, and I hope people will go out and get it. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this dangerous accident that took place in Arkansas. Uh, We'll be back in just a moment after we take a few messages from our commercial sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Now, there's a number of ways you can taste wines at the tasting room. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, we currently have nine different wines on our tasting menu, and we really want it to be an experience where you get to taste the wine that you want to taste. So... If you want to taste Pinot, you can really focus your flight around that. If you wanted to focus on the bubbles, we have three different sparklings that will allow you to build your flight that way. Or if you came in and you just wanted to taste one wine, we would uh, have it set up for you to be able to do that as well. Now, what's a flight? A flight is basically a combination of small tastes of different wines. If you wanted to taste all of our different Chardonnays, you could taste the 2007 Chardonnay, the 2008, and the 2009, and we would line you up with an individual taste of each of them. Thank you for being with us again, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Before you head out onto the open road, head on over to North Bay Ford and test drive a new eco-friendly, fuel-efficient Ford Energy car or truck. Hello, I'm Bobby Robinson. North Bay Ford is your locally owned dealership with low overhead, friendly, small town values, and great deals on new Ford cars and trucks. Here are two kinds of eco-friendly, energy-efficient Fords you can find right now at North Bay Ford. Get turbocharged direct injection performance with EcoBoost smart performance engines in the Ford Taurus, Explorer, Edge, F-150, Escape, Flex, and Fusion. Or get the power of gasoline and the savings of electricity with the new Ford C-Max and Fusion hybrids. Head over to North Bay Ford and test drive a new eco-friendly, fuel-efficient Ford and enjoy the ride of your life. We look forward to meeting you at locally owned North Bay Ford, 1999 Soquel Avenue, Santa Cruz, or on our web at NorthBayFord.com. Ben Loman Market. Low price, great savings, quality, and service that doesn't always cost you more. Andy Gustafson. My job is the produce manager at Ben Loman Market. I do uh, all the ordering, quality control, bringing in new items, making sure everything is nice out on the rack for the customer to buy. I have worked here 25 years. I personally love the customers we have. I love working for the owners I have, and between Comparing those two together, it's a real easy, nice, fun job. My favorite is apples. Any kind of apple, I love eating apples. My favorite vegetable is probably Italian squash. We have plenty of fresh product, both in produce, meat, deli. We have, I think, a very uh, warm crew, and we really try to make the customer happy. We really appreciate our customers. Ben Loman Market. Compare and save. A proud member of Think Local First, Santa Cruz County. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is author and investigative journalist Eric Schlosser. And before the break, we were talking about the need to come to terms with exactly how many nuclear missiles we need and where they will be maintained. And and we also need to make sure that we budget the monies needed to properly service these dangerous weapons. Or we could easily be facing a situation where the nuclear weapons, which were designed to protect us, backfire. So let's talk about a specific disaster that led you to write the book. Can you walk us through the events which occurred in Damascus, Arkansas? I will. I, I just want to comment on something that right before the commercial break, there, there were real drug problems in the 1960s and 1970s in the military. And I write about how there was even drug use uh, by officers and enlisted men who were handling nuclear weapons, which is not a good thing. Uh, people smoking pot in particular while handling nuclear weapons. Today, I see no evidence of that occurring. I think the drug use, for the most part, has been eliminated in the military. And, and one of the things I try to do in the book is look at the Cold War and look at our nuclear weapons system from a different perspective. There have been many books written about the famous physicists like Oppenheimer and Teller, many books written about Cold War diplomacy and national security advisors, memoirs. But this book really looks at the ordinary servicemen and and some women who risked their lives during the Cold War. And they're often blamed for the problems that we have when we have a near miss, when we have an accident. But again and again, you'll find it was actually much uh, more of a management problem from above. And, And that's who I hold responsible for the mistakes that we've had, the leadership in the Air Force, the leadership in the Pentagon, not the enlisted men or uh, not the, the servicemen who, you know, were often held responsible. And you find that in the Damascus accident as well. It began with a very trivial event. Um, a missile repairman was doing routine maintenance on a Titan II missile, mm-hmm. and uh, the socket fell off of the wrench he was using. It hit the steel platform he was standing on, bounced, he tried to catch it, but missed, and it fell between the very narrow gap between the steel platform and the missile, dropped about 70 feet down the silo, ricocheted off of part of the silo, and hit the missile. And when it hit the missile, it pierced the missile's skin, and thousands of gallons of highly toxic, highly explosive rocket fuel started to pour out of the missile. Now, the Titan II was the largest ICBM that we ever built, and on top of it was a nuclear warhead that had a nine megaton explosive force. That one warhead was more powerful than all the bombs dropped by all the militaries during the Second World War combined, including both atomic bombs. And in looking at this accident, you could say, well, it was the fault of the guy who dropped the socket. But as I look more closely at it in the book, there were so many things going wrong with this weapon system that in many ways it was an accident waiting to happen. And and the book looks at the Air Force's struggle to figure out what to do to try to save the missile and try to prevent a catastrophe, and nothing like this had ever happened before. I am just uh, speechless to think that a socket, a dropped socket, almost created one of the worst nuclear disasters we've had on our soil. And again and again, things like this happen. I write about another very important, very dangerous, they're called broken arrows. That's, you know, a nuclear weapons accident that could have significant harm to people. Uh, There was a B-52 bomber flying with four hydrogen bombs. And because it was going to be a long flight, one of the crew members had brought four rubber seat cushions to make the flight more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the seat cushions were stowed beneath the seat inadvertently right next to a heat vent. The heat vent set the seat cushions on fire. The smoke filled the cockpit. The crew heroically battled a fire on their bomber at an altitude of like 20,000 feet, but then the fire raged out of control. And the bomber was right near one of our most top-secret military installations. The pilot quite heroically managed to guide the plane away from the military installation. installation. The bomber crashed. There was a huge explosion. The weapons did not detonate fully. But, again, you never think of 
one of our most important weapon systems being destroyed by four rubber seat cushions. No, and you that's, don't. That's how one of that's that's. But this is just cutting it too close. This this just means that we're setting ourselves up for human error and some haphazard event to uh, allow a, a very, very dangerous situation. And we all know that when it comes to the spread of nuclear material, for, for example, these, these uh, missile facilities, they're not that far from populated areas. And if a rocket, rocket detonated, we could have a situation where nuclear material like plutonium would scatter. Yes. And today, you know, most of the silos are in less populated areas in the upper uh, Midwest. They're not in Arkansas near little farmhouses anymore. But certainly our submarine bases are located in Georgia and in Washington. Uh, and if there were a missile accident in one of those places, it is near populated areas. And, and for me, one of the themes throughout the book is not to demonize anybody. You know, a lot of books about nuclear weapons portray the military as these warmongering Neanderthal right wing. And, and that's so far from the truth. The, the truth is that we're much better at creating complex technologies than we are at controlling them. And again and again, you find that once something goes wrong, people just don't know what to do. And it was true in this Damascus accident that I write about. It was true at Fukushima it was true at Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. Uh, things that are working perfectly for days, months, years, suddenly when they go wrong, it's hard to know what to do. Right. The, the effects of the uh, disaster begin to cascade and exponentiate, and that's where we uh, run into problems. But I do want to point out that uh, you do make a point of talking about these incredible heroic efforts by the people that are directly in harm's way to make sure that the, that a lid is kept on these uh, these potential catastrophes. Um, one of the questions I had was, did you find that there was any, uh, were there any safety measures in place to alert citizens that are near these nu- uh, these uh, nuclear submarine facilities? Uh, are there any evacuation plans? Was there anything there to, uh, to protect the citizens that are, may be nearby a scatter? We've done much better since 9-11 in particular at coming up with all kinds of civil defense and evacuation plans for our major populated areas and cities. But back in 1980, when this missile accident occurred, uh, the Air Force had resisted putting warning sirens near the silos in case there was a problem. So there were no warning silos. And a lot of the security officers, the Air Force security officers, once it was clear there was the potential for a huge catastrophic explosion, they didn't even have maps of the area around the silo. And so this occurred at night. And throughout the night, there was a very chaotic evacuation of people nearby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the title of the book is Command and Control. But once once the missile started to leak, things were very much out of control. Yes. Well, we have to take another break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to find out more about what we've learned from these near misses. You're listening to the Costa Report. that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting IBM.com slash big data today. 
Hi, folks. It's apple season once again at the Giz Ditch Ranch, and we'd like to invite you out to pick your own apples right off the tree. Or if you'd just like to pay us a visit and picnic amongst the beautiful Santa Cruz Mountains, we'd love to see you. Our pie shop always has delicious pies available. And don't forget our award-winning apple juice. What a great way to spend a day with family and friends. We're open daily from 9 to 5, so come on out to the Giz Ditch Ranch. We're at 55 Peckham Road in Watsonville. If you own a fine European car like a Mercedes, Volvo, BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, or Mini Cooper, you're probably picky about who takes care of it. You want only a top-level shop that's been around for a while. So you'll want to go to Specialized Auto. The service at Specialized Auto has won a bunch of awards, and that includes being named one of the top ten shops in America by Motor Age Magazine. And since they've been around for over 30 years, thousands of satisfied customers can tell you why they take their cars to Specialized. So if you have a Mercedes, Volvo, BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, or Mini Cooper, and you're tired of those long drives to the dealer for service, consider the shop that gives you friendly local service with all the quality of the dealer and more. Specialized Auto. European car owners count on Specialized Auto for complete car care. They also seem to like the free shuttles and that free hand car wash with any service. New customers get 40 bucks off and regular customers 5% off any service when they mention KSCO at Specialized Auto in Santa Cruz and freedom. Ask us how to shake up your taste buds. Hi, I'm Susan Pappas with an invitation to visit the True Olive Connection for inspiring ways to pair extra virgin olive oils, balsamic vinegars, and fresh foods that'll inspire your palate. And speaking of palates, let's turn those sun-ripened tomatoes into delicious caprese salads with some of our garlic and rosemary olive oils. And how about shaking up your fruit salad with Persian lime and coconut balsamic? It'll have you dancing in a grass skirt in no time. For a dessert, no one will forget. Cover your Tahitian vanilla ice cream with the True Olive Connections Rich Dark Espresso Balsamic. And it's decaffeinated. Discover a true Epicurean treasure chest at the True Olive Connection in downtown Santa Cruz at 106 Lincoln Street for a taste of over 30 gourmet oils and 25 aged balsamic vinegars open seven days a week. Don't forget to try our new Oho Body Care line for healthier skin and immune system. You'll feel better from the inside out in no time. Opa! Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest is the author of Command and Control, Eric Schlosser. And before the break, we were talking about everything from a dropped socket to a couple of rubber cushions that accidentally caught fire and how these ordinary human foibles have almost led to a nuclear disaster from weapons which were designed to protect us. In addition to the uh, accident at Damascus, um, you also mentioned an incident where we lost contact with 50 Minutemen missiles for an hour. Is that right? And that was pretty recently. Um, That was in 2010. And it was quite a disturbing event. Uh, This was at Effie Warren Air Force Base in Wyoming. And 50 of our Minutemen missiles, an entire squadron, suddenly went offline. And what that meant was the underground launch control centers could no longer communicate with them. Uh, They were offline for an hour. There was a big investigation into what happened. The Air Force denied that the uh, system could have been hacked. And they found that it was a small computer chip that had been improperly installed in a processor that had put them offline. Uh, But... It turns out there was some concern about our nuclear command and control system being hacked. And the Defense Science Board issued a report this year saying that the vulnerability of our nuclear command and control system to being hacked has never been fully studied. And there were hearings about it this spring, and it would be a very difficult thing to do, but it's not an impossibility And uh, people are concerned about it. And the consequences of that would just, I mean, it's almost like a bad Hollywood movie. But uh, with the fact that Snowden was able to infiltrate our most top secret intelligence agency and get some of their most valuable secrets from within, it's not inconceivable, particularly with an insider, uh, that our nuclear command and control system could be hacked. I agree with you. I think, uh, if nothing else, Edward Snowden did us a service in making us understand, making the public understand just how vulnerable 
we are. Uh, and particularly nowadays with the government subcontracting out more and more uh, as budget cuts become a greater reality. Now, to me, it sounds like we're just sitting on a time bomb. I don't want to be negative, and, and I try not to be negative on this program. But when you combine outdated technology with undermanaged facilities, a shortage of spare parts and trained personnel, these things feel like they're cost-cutting measures. And, and I guess my question for you is, is this the result of defense dollars not stretching far enough? Or is this an accountability issue? Who exactly is accountable for these nuclear weapons? You know, the greatest danger that we face with nuclear weapons is a simple danger. And that's complacency. And in the public, these weapons after the Cold War just became out of sight, out of mind. It was so miraculous that the Soviet Union collapsed without there being a world war and that the Berlin Wall came down that we just assumed the problem had been solved. But the danger still exists. Uh, In the Air Force in particular, after the Cold War ended, uh, getting an assignment to be uh, in a Minuteman unit and getting an assignment to handle nuclear weapons was no longer the elite assignment it was throughout the Cold War. In many ways, it became a career dead end. And the Air Force itself, I think, has not invested enough time, energy, or money in the oversight of its nuclear weapons. I think the Navy has done a better job. I am not apocalyptic. I am not a doomsayer. And if the Cold War could end, and the Soviet Union could vanish from the earth without thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people being killed, it shows that, you know, disasters are not inevitable. And one of the main points of my book is to provide information that has been long hidden, that the government hasn't wanted to release, so that we can have an informed discussion and an informed debate about what we should do with our nuclear weapons. For too long, These decisions have been made by a small group of people in Washington, D.C., acting in secret. And I think that, you know, this is much too important an issue to leave uh, to other people to make decisions in secret. And we need a national debate on this. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, So who is a small group of people who makes this decision and, and can make the decision to start dismantling these outdated missiles that we're really not going to use? Well, when I talk about a small group of people, it's it's quite remarkable that for many, many years, the civilians in government, the civilians in the Department of the Defense, when Henry Kissinger was the National Security Advisor, they weren't allowed to know the details, the very specific details of our nuclear war plans. Mm -hmm. They were considered so top secret that, you know, at the highest level of the military, they were controlling this information. And then, you know, a step back from that, basic decisions about nuclear weapons being made in secret by one administration after another. You know, what needs to happen is a public debate and the Congress of the United States, which is supposed to represent the people of the United States, debate some fundamental questions. Number one, should we have nuclear weapons? Two, how many do we really need to have? And three, which is connected to two, how do we plan to use them? In what circumstances would we use them? Who, the, who should they be aimed at? And again, these are the decisions that have been made without the involvement of the American people. And I think um, these are just too important not to know about or care about or do something about. That's right, because if you don't set down the criteria under what circumstances you will use them, then it becomes a subjective uh, decision, which means a political football. So I agree. you got to put things down in writing. You have to say that uh, we don't use them for anything but these criteria, and they're written down, and and everyone can see them and understand them. So, um, And I think that that is a big, uh, important part. Our our foreign policy, we, we we almost seem to have an ad hoc, policy when it comes to each individual war in each individual circumstance and uh, and I don't think we need to quite be as nimble and ad hoc as we are I think we have to stand for something and we have to we have to engage in a national dialogue what about NATO uh, are they still charged with nuclear weapons I mean is this just I can't believe that the spare parts and training and all these issues are limited to the United States they must be going on elsewhere well NATO uh, some of the submarine-based missiles that we have 
part to defend Western Europe from attack under NATO, mm-hmm. and as well as the British, uh, some of the British submarine-based missiles. There used to be thousands of nuclear weapons in Western Germany, in NATO uh, countries, in Turkey, that were called tactical nuclear weapons that were going to be used on the battlefield against Soviet forces. Today, there are perhaps 200 uh, bombs that are considered tactical bombs to be used in warfare, but they're in bunkers. Uh, They're not on alert. If you wanted to use one of them, it would take hours, if not days, to get it ready. And that's, that's much less of a concern than it was during the Cold War when there were thousands of them and and many of them, you know, were loose and didn't have locks on them. What people need to, to remember is that the authority to use nuclear weapons comes from the president of the United States. And that gives one person just unimaginable power over millions of lives. And we need to be clearer about when and how and why that power can be used. One of the people I write about in the book was a weapons designer named Bob Purifoy, who I have great admiration for. We don't agree on every issue, but he's a real patriot. And he felt like, well, if you want nuclear deterrence to really work, which is to say, if you want other countries not to attack us because they're afraid of what we might do to them, just like in criminal law, be very clear about what you're going to do. Tell those other countries in advance, here's exactly where our nuclear warheads are going to land if you attack us. And that's how deterrence works, you know, in criminal law. What we have right now is very little public knowledge, very little public information about what we would do with these weapons. And it may be that they're aimed at cities. It may be that they're aimed at uh, military targets. And we just need a much fuller discussion of these issues. You're absolutely right about deterrence. Um, You know, anybody who's raised teenagers will tell you that... uh uh, you know, spell out what the punishment's going to be when your kids come, you know, break their curfew uh, or, uh, you know, don't do their homework. Spell it out for them and to say, you know, and then turn it over to them and say, look, uh, all the power's in your hands. You do these things and it's spelled out for you. We will take action. But you're right. If it's not spelled out, it becomes a, a political issue. And uh, when it comes to nuclear weapons, this should not be something left to the political whims uh, of our leaders. I think this really does require uh, an active discussion and active uh, consent of the American people. Now, we have to take our last break. So keep your dial right where it is. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way. Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But something you may not know is that Dr. King was represented by the world's foremost speaking agency, the American Program Bureau. The American Program Bureau has a courageous history of representing luminaries, entertainers, and motivators from all backgrounds. From Ronald Reagan, Richard Branson, and Mikhail Gorbachev, to John Stewart, Michael Douglas, and Desmond Tutu. From A-list celebrities to best-selling authors, cutting-edge business leaders, and the greatest minds in academia, the American Program Bureau has speakers to fit every venue and every budget. When corporations, conferences, schools, and community organizations need an expert speaker, they turn to the American Program Bureau to 
help them craft an event that will be remembered long afterwards. To inquire about a speaker for your next engagement, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or visit our website at apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home, not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply inc.com a proud member of think local first ace is the place ace hardware stores ladies and gentlemen located in watsonville freedom marina salinas and gilroy these are the five ace hardware stores run by my friends manuel and carlos rodriguez two brothers in watsonville who've been on the hardware business for 25 years long enough to know that when you walk into a hardware store you want service you know the merchandise is there, but you don't want to have to walk up and down the aisles for God knows how long to try to locate it. You want somebody to walk up to you and say, hi, welcome to Ace Hardware. What brought you to us today? You give the answer, and the next thing you know, you're in the right part of the store looking at the merchandise you want to see. That's the service you get at Ace Hardware stores in Watsonville on Main Street, in Freedom, corner of Green Valley Road and Freedom Boulevard, in Marina on Reservation Road, in Salinas on North Sanborn, and in Gilroy on First Street. These are the five Ace Hardware stores that Rodriguez Brothers run, and those are the ones you want to go to. That's the place you'll get what you want every single day. Monday through Friday, 8 to 8, Saturday and Sunday, 8 to 6. Ace Hardware, your ace in the hole. Tune in to the Dave Allen Show every Sunday at 4 for an eclectic mix of guests, music, and hot talk that spins towards the positive. So if you're tired of confrontational bickering on the radio, take a step to the positive. Take a step with the Dave Allen Show every Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Eric Schlosser. Um, Mr. Schlosser, is there any way that the uh, public can find out where these nuclear facilities are located and whether they're in harm's way? You know, there aren't that many of them now, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it is publicly uh, available issue, uh, information. Uh, so the, the, the location of our Minutemen silos in the upper Midwest, um, our big naval bases in Georgia and in Washington State, the storage facility uh, at Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. These are all publicly known things. And I don't want to create undue panic about this. Um, I just feel like people need to be aware in a bigger sense of the management of our nuclear arsenal. Well, unfortunately, uh, I'm an evolutionary biologist, and one of the uh, difficult things that we are dealing with right now is that we're uh, biologically wired to deal with a snake in the road, but not necessarily with uh, the fact that Social Security might run out of money. We don't tend to preempt these problems. We wait until they become a snake in the road that's going to bite us, and, and obviously that's too late when it comes to something like nuclear weapons. So as as much as I don't like to do any programs that are fear-mongering, I find increasingly that uh, we just don't seem to be hardwired to be able to deal with long-term threats. Yeah. And uh, that's one of our failings from just a an evolutionary standpoint. That's who we are today. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, our, our heartbeat doesn't even go up one beat an hour when you sit people down and show them the consequences of uh, global burning. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and that's just who, that's how we're hardwired. And, and so I don't like to make it sound like gloom and doom. I'm, I'm like you. I'm very optimistic that we can get on top of these problems. I just don't see the effort needed to do it. Now, you spent 10 years researching this book, Command and Control. And during that time, uh, you must have formed some strong opinions about what needs to be done to make these facilities even safer. Um, so what are some of the ideas that you, that you came upon? You know, I, I first heard about this about 10 years ago, but I, I really spent six years full time on it. And what it led me to believe is first and most importantly, and what I think my job is as a writer, is to help create public awareness so that people 
are empowered to make change. The truth is that um, one of the most important social movements and effective social movements that we had in this country in a very brief period of time was the nuclear freeze movement. When it began in the late 1970s, you know, the United States and Russia were in the middle of an extraordinary arms race with tens of thousands of nuclear weapons. And the biggest single political demonstration in American history was in Central Park, almost a million people, somewhere between three quarters of a million and a million people demonstrating against nuclear weapons. The, the president of the United States at the time, Ronald Reagan, got the message. And he had begun as a very bellicose president. And uh, by the end of his second term, he was calling for the abolition of nuclear weapons and began a series of arms treaties with the Soviet Union and later with Russia that have vastly decreased the number of nuclear weapons that these two countries have. At the height of the Cold War between those two countries, there was almost 70,000 nuclear weapons. Today it's down to, you know, maybe eight, nine, ten. Still a lot, but that's a huge decrease. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I do believe that people can make change by making their views known. And in a broader sense, if I were in charge of things, what would I do? Well, I support the abolition of nuclear weapons, but I don't think that's going to happen soon. And in the interim, we need to sit down the major countries that have nuclear weapons and begin real arms control talks to reduce the numbers. The fewer of these things that are in the world, the less likely that a city is going to be get destroyed by them. And that's just the laws of probability. Yes, but while I might agree with you, I have to say with North Korea and Iran saber-rattling every two or three months, uh, it's going to be very politically difficult to uh, to reduce our, st- our nuclear stockpile. I-, I just think that people are a little bit um, uncertain about uh, these nuclear weapons that may be cropping up in, uh, you know, in the Middle East. Well, you know, North Korea did not invent uh, its own atomic bomb, uh, nor did Pakistan. Both of them received their nuclear weapon training very much from China. Mm-hmm. And Iran has received its technology uh, in some part from North Korea. So if you sit down Russia, China, the United States, England, France, India, Pakistan, and really talk seriously about reducing the number of nuclear weapons, I'm not talking about a unilateral disarmament. And if we were to try to eliminate the Iranian nuclear weapon program, most likely we wouldn't use nuclear weapons to do it anyway. I mean, Mm -hmm. I happen to be strongly opposed to Iran getting nuclear weapons, strongly, and strongly opposed to North Korea keeping its nuclear weapons, because that is just going to create new arms races, one in the Far East, one in the Middle East, that could likely end in disaster. But, so but in truth, about- Iran, even if you took out Iran's nuclear weapons capability, they've been buying arms from from North Korea since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a make-or-buy decision for them. You take out their ability to develop their own weapons, they just start buying them from North Korea. And North Korea does, you know, proudly does public product demonstrations every couple of months. Yeah. Well, North Korea is one of the poorest nations in the world, and I think is increasingly vulnerable to economic pressure, not just by the West, but if China decided to cut them off, um, they wouldn't be able to feed themselves. So I I just am not resigned to the notion that there are going to be more nuclear weapons possessed by more countries in the world, because if that's the fact, we should just be resigned to a nuclear war or a nuclear catastrophe at some point. It's remarkable that we haven't had a full-scale detonation over a city since Nagasaki, and I think it's urgent we try to prevent one. I I agree with you. So what do you suggest where North Korea and Iran is concerned? Would you be in favor of sending in, uh, um, you know, military force to take out those uh, weapon development facilities? I'd like to think that in the Iranian case, there's still the hopes of, uh, of a diplomatic solution. But um, I would not oppose a, a military strike if it really looked like Iran was on the verge of uh, having nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that important. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, we, let's hope that we put some really good diplomats in there, really effective ones. Uh, before we run out of time, is there a website where listeners can go to get more information about your book and find out where you're speaking? 
the Penguin Press website, and I'd mm-hmm. love to be able to tell it to you by name, but, I, uh, <laughs> but you know, they'll find their way it. there. But uh, the book is published by Penguin Press, and that'll have the information. And uh, thank you for giving me the time to talk about an issue. I care very much about and I think it's a very important issue. Well, I, I thank you. And uh, before we say goodbye, I do want to thank you for uh, taking the time to spell out the dangers and also for uh, pointing out the heroic efforts of the people that were closest to these uh, incidences, because I think you do it a wonderful job. It's, a, again, a riveting book, and I hope our listeners will all go out and get it. It's it's one of these page turners you can't put down. In fact, I lost one night's sleep over it, so uh, I'm, I'm not so sure I was so happy about that, but I couldn't. I personally couldn't put it down. So thank you for being with us, Mr. Schlosser. Thank you very much. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you'd like to comment on today's conversation with Eric Schlosser, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're all over the Internet, so drop me a line and let me know how you feel about our program today. And if you missed the full interview with Schlosser or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and also our new YouTube channel. And I also want to take a, a moment to thank listeners Listeners who have ordered copies of the Watchman's Rattle from our website. I, I know I speak for the entire staff of the Costa Report when I say that we are committed to bringing you the stories and the in-depth coverage that the mainstream media has completely abandoned. And what makes this possible are our sponsors and our listeners. All proceeds from the sale of the Watchman's Rattle go towards expanding our coverage across the United States. So thank you for your support. And if you're, you've already got a copy of the book, pick up a copy of the Watchman's Rattle with a custom dedication for someone you love. It makes a great gift, and we've made it very easy to type in the dedication you want. You just go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's my name, RebeccaCosta.com. My guest next week is former United States Attorney General and Governor of Pennsylvania, Mr. Dick Thornburg. He'll be with us to weigh in on the role the Attorney General must play in the IRS, Benghazi, and NSA investigations. Don't miss Dick Thornburg next week right here on the Costa Report, the one program you can count on week after week to put principles ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for the second hour of the Costa Report when we hear what you have to say about our terrifying conversation with Eric Schlosser. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.